Hello and welcome to another installment of Conf Tea with RSE. A quick reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco certified partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on this show. I am your host, Brian Young, and today we're going to continue our conversation about our trip to Cisco Impact in Las Vegas. Joining me today is my co-host, Brian Boyd. How you doing, Brian? Doing well, Brian. Fantastic. So, Brian, last week we had the opportunity to kind of go over some of the various technologies. There was a big showing by IoT and some security in the Cisco Impact Hub, as we like to call it, that really kind of showcased a lot of those technologies and Cisco's big push into IoT with uh, a lot of mindfulness in security. And this whole podcast really has been about Cisco technologies and the things that we create and the things that we do. But I wanted to take this second part to really focus on a little bit out of the ordinary, some of the things that we do that aren't directly related to technology. Um, But you'll see there's still some technology built into it. So I got an opportunity to speak with Mira from the Cisco Innovation Team, and she had some really cool projects that um, that she had was able to highlight and talk about. So let's have a listen to that. All right, I'm standing here next to Miro, and we're standing next to Daisy, the fake cow. Um, why are we standing next to a fake cow? Can you tell me a little bit about your program? So, Brian, we are from the Cisco Innovation Team, and what we do is that we run a bunch of different co-innovation projects where the goal is to just do research and prove concepts and find solutions for either governments or customers of Cisco. So bring something brand new into the world that hasn't been done before. Now, the reason why we've got a cow here, beautiful Daisy, is because we are actually showcasing the work that has been done uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, The project is called 5G Rural First, because it was all about putting the rural areas first bring them back up as a priority and bring connectivity in areas where you don't even get one bar of signal, leave alone even start considering anything such as data or connectivity. So we wanted to prioritize them alongside with the UK government uh, who fully supported us with this project. They even gave us funding for it. We selected three areas in the UK where we built these test beds that we connected with the 5G simulator network that was brought together with Cisco Technologies. In one of the test beds, we looked at agri-tech use cases, and one of those use cases was connecting cows to that 5G network, which is where Daisy comes in. So Daisy is wearing a beautiful blue collar, as you may notice, and there's a nice little dazzling accessory on there, which actually has three sensors built into it. Those sensors are able to know, has Daisy uh, eaten her meals today? Did she skip a meal? It can also monitor her um, breathing, her heart, and then you can also tell when she's supposed to be due in heat, so you make sure that that cycle is kept on track. So you're able to monitor as a farmer everything that your cow is doing, so you make sure that if your cow starts behaving abnormally, that you can do something about it before it turns into an actual illness. Now, with technology nowadays, this obviously also brings in virtual vets, right? So it's all about taking it to the next level. But all of this is possible because of that 5G network that we managed to deploy in those areas. That's incredible. So now I'm going to ask you this. Why 5G? Why not just regular 4G, 3G, whatever? Why, why lead with 5G? 
That is, there are a few ways to answer this question. Uh, for this specific use case, like in argu uh, agriculture, what the answer would be is that for agriculture, a farmer would need um, inevitably home-based stations. That is hardware that the farmer would have to purchase, invest in also deploying in that how many hectares of land. The bigger the land, the more hardware will be needed. So if I went to a farmer and said, listen, farmer, for $10 million, I can change your life, do you actually think that they will care? They're really not going to care, right? So they're going to shut that door. What we managed to prove with this 5G network, with the power of this network, is that you would be reducing the home base station hardware kit by 60%. So this is the difference, that you've now, for the first time, actually made it a realistic option for a farmer to even consider connecting their farms. And the farms that we connected uh, in the UK, they don't just have cow collars. We're talking about robots cleaning up uh, uh, the actual farm, you know, video surveillance, overlooking the cows that have video-based AI in them. So we're talking really high-tech because investing a lot less allows also the farmer to be able to do a lot more with their farm, right? So it's a win-win. That's the difference. Makes sense. And we're sta standing here also next to uh, a little mini miniature uh, tractor. I imagine that self-driving tractors and other farming equipment um, requiring a lot of that bandwidth, that cloud connectivity, GPS uh, location, scheduling, stuff like that, that's going to be important. Even maybe some augmented reality stuff like that, correct? Absolutely. So the goal with this project was to be able to show versatility. So the use cases that we um, actually worked on and we tested in our test beds, uh, in the three in the UK, were so diverse. So from uh, renewable energies, so connecting wind windmills to optimizing tourism by creating a virtual tour guide where we took buses, turned those into portable hotspots, tourists get on the bus, they're connected, and you can download your virtual tour guide app. Via geolocation, that app will just trigger uh, local characters to pop up on your phone or tablet and tell you the history of where you're at rather than anything else. Just take that further and think about education and schools in such rural areas. But then, of course, as you mentioned, we've also got autonomous tractors, got drones. We looked at drones doing you know, soil analysis just by flying around by themselves. And uh, healthcare, bringing connectivity to schools, one more pretty cool thing, the islands that we connected, um, you, like I said earlier, you couldn't have one bar signal. So that also means no radio. When I say radio, I mean music, FM, AM, nothing. They had none of that. Via this project, BBC managed to build the first broadcasting radio station in those areas. It's 2019. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Um, so where can people go to learn more about this, uh, about this project? So, about this project specifically, we have a website, it's called 5GRuralFirst.org and there's a newsletter, there's a bunch of blogs, we've got articles that have been featured in The Economist and BBC videos on that website as well. But if you want to know more about what our actual department does, our team, then we have a, an, an innovation Cisco website because we run these types of projects all around the world, the global network with 13 innovation centers. So hundreds of people that are just doing this research with governments and customers. So a lot of, a lot of fantastic work that you can uh, read about online. Very cool. And we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you, Daisy. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. So 
taking a step back from the technology for a second, and the tech is really cool. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about that. <laughs> but um, I do think it's amazing that Cisco has seemingly endless opportunities where they go out and they do stuff like this. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to get too preachy about Cisco, but, um, you know, it, it's amazing to me that they find these situations where it can be kind of like a win-win, like they're talking about. Cisco yeah. gets to develop cool tech that can be used in a lot of other platforms. Mm -hmm. And they find niches and situations out there where it can benefit someone else as well. Yeah, and I, th I think one of the benefits of being a networking company, right, is, as we mentioned before, the network is that sticky layer that it, it all sits on, right? The app sits there, the user sits there, the computing resources sit there, right? You talk AI, machine, all these fancy buzzwords, the cloud, right? All of that goes through the network. So we're in a good position where we're able to provide those, the, 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 from the technology standpoint, the capabilities of, of, of getting from A to B. But also, you know, and I'll take, I'll take the, preachy, the preachy side of Cisco here. We have the leadership team and the finances behind it to back it up to be able to do these kind of initiatives. Again, this is why I wanted to kind of focus just on, you know, the, the, the non-technology side of it on this episode, right? And, and, and I have one more example after this. Um, of, of where Cisco really puts their their money where their mouth is in terms of being able to help innovate. And we don't think of it as much because, you know, here we are, we're in Connecticut, we're an hour away from New York City, maybe two hours away from Boston. There's connectivity here. And when we're talking about new technologies like 5G and, and, and whatnot coming out, it's going to be a matter of a year before I've got a phone in my pocket that's able to download it one gig per second from you know, the office here, I'm already downloading at a gig at home. So, but we don't, we, we don't see it from the point of view of the people that are in the real rural areas. Right. I mean, as she was saying, there's a, there's islands out there that haven't had AM or FM radio. They're finally getting it now in 2019. So it's one thing to kind of just put out, put cell phone towers up there and be like, yeah, here's, here's the technology that we just took out of the downtown uh, that, that we just upgraded their their stuff, so we're going to give you the hand me down so that we can start expanding coverage out there, and not for and this isn't a, a dig against the service providers that are out there like the the AT and T's of Verizon out there. They're not going to invest a lot of money into putting in cell phone towers in rural areas when there's not a lot of customers that are going to be servicing out there. They're going to be focused on more of the higher margin stuff. Understandable. Mm -hmm. So this is where we take the capabilities that we have and the finances we have and the, the team and the, the heart and dedication behind it because there's people that come up with these ideas and say, hey, why don't we put 5G in a rural area? They've been underserviced forever. Why don't we give them the cutting edge technology? Okay, sure, let's do it. So this was one example that the 5G rural first was one piece of the Cisco um, innovation team. Uh, we'll be sure to link both of the this innovation team and this particular project in the show notes. But I, um, I re definitely recommend that you check it out and see uh, maybe there's a project going on that you want to get involved with, uh, even you know, on the outside of Cisco. So another cool thing that I got a chance to check out at the hub, and I don't know if, Brian, if you got a chance to see it too, was the, um, the Cisco tactical operations team. So did you see the big black truck when you first walked in the main entrance? Yes. So that truck, um, and I'll, I'll link uh, 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 to a couple videos and, and, and some links here for the, about the program, but the tactical operations team uh, is a team that 
again, it's 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 a it's a pro bono situation. It's something that Cisco has gone above and beyond and outside of the the realm of what we do. And when there is a natural disaster or any type of disaster, um, and whenever there's an incident where connectivity has been compromised, where the infrastructure has de- deteriorated or, or or gone down for whatever reason. We have the capability, technology, know-how, and skill to be able to deploy this type of vehicle and other resources to bring the infrastructure back up on a temporary level. So this this truck, and I'm I'm hoping that I can get some pictures up there that on the show notes as well. This truck has satellite, Wi-Fi, cellular. It's got all these antennas and, and dishes and everything. It is basically. A, a giant router on wheels. It's it's a it's a service provider on wheels, and this thing can be deployed pretty much anywhere in the world, um, and service any location that is having uh, an issue with infrastructure that needs to be um, needs to be remedied. So, I would like to have us take a listen to Matt Wood from the tactical operations team, and uh, so he can talk more about the the operation that they have going on there. All right, I'm here with Matt Wood. Uh, Matt, what is your title? Uh, I'm the lead operations coordinator for Cisco's tactical operations team. Tactical operations team. Uh, so the reason I wanted to speak with you and have you talk to my audience, uh, we always talk about the various technologies and software and hardware that Cisco's offering. This is something very much outside of that. This is kind of, uh, uh, I would say, the outreach of side of Cisco. Can you talk a little, little bit about your program? Sure. So tactical operations, or TACOPS for short, is Cisco's disaster response program. So we are a part of Cisco's uh, corporate social responsibility efforts where um, Cisco volunteers, myself, and our equipment out to provide emergency voice data communications to uh, first responders, local government, public safety, and critical infrastructure like hospitals. So we're standing in front of the NERV, the Network Emergency Response Vehicle, and it's our flagship mobile communications vehicle amongst a whole suite of uh, different assets that we have. So we take the nerve and our other uh, portable communications assets, and Cisco volunteers us out to provide these emergency communications um, services in the aftermath of disasters. So think hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, stuff like that. Hurricane comes through, knocks out a 911 service. Probably pretty bad when you can't reach ambulance, fire, EMS. Cisco does everything that under my program completely for free. It's pro bono, and it is uh, a way for us to kind of put a Band-Aid on the communications so that these first responders and life safety personnel can get back to running while the ISP is in the background trying to figure out how to get their things back up and running. Very cool. Now, do you work a lot with uh, local governments? you partner up with them? We do. So uh, our team is constantly on the reach out, and we are uh, partners with federal, local, state governments. Uh, We take calls from anywhere all the way up from FEMA down to the lowest uh, battalion commander at a random fire station. So really, it's just uh, when a disaster happens and there's a communications need, they can reach out to our team and we'll triage the situation and see if it's something that we can help with. Very cool. Now, how many uh, kind of deployments have you been on? Can you can you think of one in particular that uh, stood out and kind of tell us your experience with that? So I've been on the team for five years. I've been with Cisco for 12, but with TACOPS for the last five. And I've been on probably five separate deployments. Uh, my most recent deployment was I just came back from Colombia, where we are assisting with the Venezuelan migrant crisis. So, you know, the situation going on in Venezuela right now, uh, migrants are leaving the country, heading into Colombia, uh, in search of, you know, a better life where they need to go. So we've been down there for the last probably about six months setting up uh, emergency Wi-Fi 
in various shelters along the routes that the Venezuelans are traveling through the country. So it's really, it, it's really heart-wrenching to see families traveling down the road, pushing a stroller, carrying a suitcase behind them, just trying to, you know, in search of where they're gonna sleep for the next night. So what we're doing is we're setting up Wi-Fi in shelters so they can get to where they're going, check the weather, find out how far it is to their next stop, um, and to give them information uh, about what the route looks like, how far they're away from the next place where they're gonna be able to sleep for the night. Wow, I think, I think it's an amazing thing of what you're doing here. Um, and I was just talking with your counterpart here. He was telling me that um, Cisco employees are encouraged to volunteer for this. Yeah, so our team's very small. There's only 12 of us uh, in the whole country split between uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and San Jose. But our mission is global. So we, uh, we really are in need of volunteers with Inside Cisco in a program we call DIRT, Disaster Incident Response Team. So it's a little tongue-in-cheek. You do get a little dirty uh, when you're part of the program. But basically, these Cisco employees raise their hands and say, hey boss, do you mind if I take uh, two weeks off from my job and go string access points with TACOPS in Puerto Rico, for example? And it's really a great program um, that Cisco lets their employees volunteer up and they still get paid while they are, you know, while they're doing this program because it's, it's Cisco's mission. So Chuck Robbins says, hey, we've got the people, we've got the expertise, um, everything we do is pro bono, go out and do it because that's what's right for the world. That's incredible. And it sounds like this program is growing. So definitely, if you're inside Cisco, make sure you check out the DIRT program and uh, make sure it's okay with your manager and, and sign up. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Once again, don't want to get too preachy about Cisco, but uh, that, that statement at the end, you know, it was the right thing to do. It's right for the world. That does seem to be their motivation behind stuff like this. And yeah. funny story, I actually heard about this truck and this team before I even started working in Cisco. Really? I heard about it in one of my college courses. A professor just brought it up. Um, we might have had a guest speaker, something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the world recognizes the help. Um, I think this one was a, a hurricane disaster. I can't okay. remember which one specifically, but... Um, you know, Cisco doesn't expect anything out of this. Mm. They just, they have the means to do it. They have the opportunity right in front of them. And they just do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it, 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 that's, couldn't have said it better. It, it's the right thing to do, and they have the capabilities of doing it, the knowledge, know-how, and, and resources to do it. Um, I've been going through some of the training because I, I did uh, put my money where my mouth was and uh, and signed up for it. Um, and the, the training and, and just the the internal website that talks about kind of the expectations and stuff like that. There was a training I was going through where they were talking about, this was originally started under John Chambers. Uh, Cause it's been around for a while now. And one of the questions came up of like, Hey, what happens if I get hurt when I'm out on deployment? Right. Does, does, am I worried about my insurance? And the, the response basically was the top level leadership has said that if there's, if you get hurt, We'll take care of it. If you're on deployment, we, we this is under us. You're doing something extra for us. We'll take care of it. And that may not seem like a big thing, but just just the comfort level of knowing, hey, my company's got my back 100% uh, is huge. So I do know that we have a pretty big Cisco audience that listens to this. Um, if you have the opportunity and 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 you have the 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 drive and the calling to do something like this, definitely check out uh, the Dirt program. Um, Check it out on the the intranet page there. Just just search for it. It'll come right up. So yeah, just another another great thing that Cisco is doing to to kind of give back and a socially um, responsible thing that Cisco is doing. So 
Switching gears a little bit, I had the opportunity and the privilege to speak with Mike Coons. Now, Mike Coons is an outgoing, I believe he's, I think he's officially out now, um, Senior Vice President for Systems Engineering Globally uh, for Cisco. So he basically has about 6,500 people underneath him. And he's been working at Cisco now for 23 years. He started as an SE, kind of moved up the ranks, SEM, et cetera. And while I've only been here for three years, you've only been on the team here as an SE now for how many years now? Two? Almost two, yeah. Two, yeah. We haven't had – we haven't really seen kind of what it was like before Mike Coons came in and, and, and took that role. But everything that I've heard about this guy has just been about how he has always gone to bat for the SE team um, all the way up to and including uh, a story that I, I heard during the um, – during the global session here at Impact, that he went into Chuck uh, Robbins' office, very very mad, like slammed the door and like we need to fix something. And you know they they he just Chuck was like okay, what do you need? And you know he has definitely fought for the systems engineers at Cisco, and uh, I think um, his uh, we definitely owe him a lot. So I got an opportunity to speak with him, and it was a fantastic interview. So let's let's go ahead and check that out. So I'm here with Mike Kuhn, Senior Vice President of the Systems Engineering for Global uh, Cisco. Uh, Mike, you've been with the company now for 23 years, uh, and uh, you've left quite the impact here. So um, so I have a couple questions for you, if you don't mind. Um, So I think one of the most important aspects of being an SE is the ability to learn, right? So anyone in this role, they need to have that mindset and discipline to embrace continuous improvement and learning. It's really the pinnacle of what it means to be an SE at Cisco. And I'm sure in your 23 years, you've learned quite a lot. I know you've gone up from the SE role and and kind of gone through the paces here. So I'm curious as to what some of your biggest learning moments were for you in your tenure at Cisco. Actually, the, the, the very first one was my first day at Cisco. And I don't know if it's like this for everybody, but my first day at Cisco was probably one of the most intimidating days of my life. And, and, and it was actually like a, a, a shock in cold water. And it was a wake-up call that I better be on my game. And so I hit, at that time it was probably the books because this was 23 years ago, but I hit them hard. And I had this, this almost a fear that I was driven by that I had to stay up to speed. So a lot of it was technology, okay? A lot of it was there was an expectation that the Cisco SE that you were talking to knew what they were talking about. I did learn a trick. From, one, from a fellow SE and a brilliant, brilliant mentor of mine uh, back in the day uh, who said, Mike, you only have to be 15 minutes ahead of the person that you're talking about. So don't think you have to learn everything and become a PhD. And I learned that and I did a lot of studying and a lot of reading up the night before a customer meeting, making sure I knew. And then gradually I just gained more and more information where it became second nature to me. So always on board with technology learning. I think it's gotten a little bit easier today, but the challenge hasn't gotten easier because we had, look at the technology landscape today and everything that has to be absorbed. The other thing that I learned, which more of a personal career side, was how I approach things. And what I found is getting a good coach or a sponsor who will be honest with you, and I mean honest, because sometimes you don't want to hear some things that are hard to hear. And he gave me a piece of coaching and he said, Mike, why you're really passionate. And I, I was like, hey, thank you. I feel good. I'm passionate. He's like, well, Mike, that's not always a compliment. He said, because sometimes passion can be interpreted as abruptness, rudeness, uh, not listening. 
So maybe try to understand where somebody else is coming from. And that was a big seminal moment in my career because I had, had I kind of wore my passion as a badge of honor, as a, as, a, as a comfort blanket. And I learned that maybe I was a little bit overskilled in it and I had to change some of my other skills. And that was a, that was a big learning moment for me as well. So I learned it's two things, right? The technology is a lot of fun to learn. Acquiring that knowledge, that's, that's, that's fun. It's probably why we're at, at SEs. Um, the personal one was a little bit harder, but it, but it had a big impact on my career. That's incredible insight, Mike. Thank you. So you have been known as being a huge proponent and ambassador for the SE community within Cisco. And you have ensured that our team has been given the proper tools to succeed in, in their roles as well as their ambitions. In fact, this podcast is a very clear example of that. Your mindset is replicated down to the various management layers as a blueprint for which they're expected to, to follow. And it defines the makings of them as a great leader. To that point, what are some of your thoughts and guidelines on developing inspiring leaders instead of just managers? Well, first of all, and I think Tim actually touched on this in our, in our SE session yesterday, uh, leaders aren't limited to managers. I've seen leadership from, uh, we've, I've worked with Mike Cam in the past and uh, in, in many different capacities, and I learned from him. Well, that's leadership, right? Anytime I go to an engineer who teaches me, and I've learned a lot about the changing of the industry, the role in cloud, the role in programmability, and I've had many good teachers who aren't managers, and every teaching moment they gave me, that's that's leadership, right? So so for me, I I don't I, I love our managers and I love the work that they do, but I don't only exclusively look for them for leadership. I look for leadership everywhere and I find it in different places. And I think that some people lead even when they don't know they're leading, okay? Just by coaching somebody. The example I had just given you, the person who was brave enough to give me the co coaching about a blind spot of mine, that's leadership, okay? That person was an individual contributor. Number one, it was very courageous of, of that gentleman to do that at the time. So so for me, it's I, I'm a... I, I seek it out and I, because it energizes me. It's what kept me going. A lot of people said, Mike, 23 years in the same organization doing the same thing. I'm like every day was like Christmas. And it was, it's exactly for that and where I found leadership. And I, I will tell you, I found it all over the world. You know, I found it in upstate New York. I found it in Bangkok, Thailand. I found it in Brazil. I found it everywhere I went and from all sorts of different people. And that leadership is something that's, that's helped me. And, uh, and, and I've carried with me very much. And I just see in every corner of Cisco, and a lot of people, I don't even think they know they're doing it. Would you say that's the reason why you fight so hard for, for the SE organization? I fight so hard for the SE organization because I believe in what we do. It's, it's as really as simple as that. It's, it's, I'm, I'm a relatively simple person, and I put things, sometimes I oversimplify things, I think, too much. The, if you think about where we sit in the industry, we are the technologists in tech who are taking a technology solution to our customers to help solve their problems. It's the most strategic place you can be, okay? It really is. It energizes me. It motivates me. It's very relevant. And we talk about transition so much. We've been talking about transition probably every single one of my 23 years here. And the SEs have managed that the whole time. And I see it. I saw it in the room yesterday when we spoke to the team and I've seen the evolution. So I fight for the SEs because it's something worth fighting in. It's something that I believe in. And if we get it right, Cisco will be better. It's as, it's as simple as that. If I didn't, I probably wouldn't be doing what I do <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Our SE team is a globally recognized and respected team of sales engineers 
that is the envy of many of our partners and competitors alike. So <clears throat> what is the methodology that you have used to get and keep us there? <laughs> it's a great, that is sincerely, Brian, a great question. Okay, uh, because it's, it's not easy, but I think we've, the, the way we've done it is first of all, I haven't done anything alone. It is, it is, it is, it is a true team effort. And when I see greatness in one part, my job is to take that greatness, export it, and bring it to other areas. And then we build this network, no pun intended, of um, brilliance, good ideas, innovation. The innovation doesn't have to be technology. And so it, that's, that's the way I've done it. Um, so so that's, that's, how, that's how we've started it. We are, the, the thing I've noticed in my time at Cisco, and I have reflected on this a little bit, our team was very was world-class in 1996, and our team is world-class in 2019. How many companies can say that? I mean, sincerely, I really think, and I think about the competitive landscape and the other companies that I've been around and seen in that period of time. And I don't, I don't want to sound arrogant, I want to be careful about this, but if you think, of, if you think about the recruiting dynamics in the industry and where people get recruited from, I could come up with a list of companies that if I mention those companies' names, you'd probably frown and say, well, okay, you have a bad connotation, but maybe 15 years ago, they had a great reputation, okay? So, so the whole point is, I've seen this, and sit the one constant the whole time has been our talent has been world-class, it's recognized, and the way we've managed to do as well as we can in keeping up, it has to come down to culture. And, and what, what one of the things that we really embraced a couple of years ago is the concept of embracing our culture and what's good. Technical excellence is important. We're proud of being of, of, of technical experts. We're never going to shy away from it. We are collaborative. I think a lot of people have been at companies where knowledge was um, was power and it was to be hoarded. And that is that, that is not only discouraged here. That is that is there, there is outright hostility towards it. It is if you know something, you share it. We grow together, and it's a collaborative spirit that we had. A third element of it is I always, I'm not good at euphemisms, so I always just say, SEs are critical. They have very high standards. They're hard on themselves. They're hard on Cisco. They expect very high things. I like that. That is an element of our culture that we should embrace. We have to do it politely. We have to do it professionally. We have to do it respectfully. But at the end of the day, it's okay to be critical. It's okay to call something out that needs improvement because at the end we will be better from it okay and then lastly the focus on the customer and the relentless focus on the customer so those things have tied it all together and the way that we're able to maintain it as as well as we do i think is by embracing that culture you know one of the things i remember specifically when i first started here at cisco um a few i think a few months in maybe a couple weeks in we had the opportunity to do a, a local se meet and greet now especially up in connecticut we, we have that sales office that I think about 150 people are registered to, and we see a dozen or so. Yeah, yeah. So it was a really great opportunity to meet SEs from the different segments, right? Commercial, SLED, uh, et cetera. And I was blown away by one thing, the fact that about 30% of the people there had been there for 20 years. Yeah. And I thought about that, and I said, okay, this was 2016 at the time. We had the technology bubble burst, 2000, 2001. And I'm thinking to myself, I said, okay, these are people that were with Cisco before the bubble burst. Cisco was a big recognized company then, as they are now, as you alluded to before, right? Yep. And these are people that stayed, and they have continued to be passionate. Yourself, 23 years, right? This is, it, 
there's only a few things that can make someone want to stay somewhere for that long. Yeah, it's uh, the one thing, and this is this might be unique to engineers. Okay, we are very fortunate in our industry that we've been able to evolve with the technology, and I think the good thing Cisco did is Cisco put a strategy out there that allowed us to do it. Were we perfect on that path? No. If we were, if we were, we probably wouldn't have kept the people anyway, right? Um, so that's number one. Number two is we. I I think about longevity. And I actually think of it as a double-edged sword, okay? I, I, Edwin Palvis, who was the leader of our specialist organization, said something to RSEs in Europe once that resonated with me very well. It's this, there, there's this con, there was this concept and I think a concern that everything's changing, everything has to be new. And I think some people were thinking experience might be less valued than it had been in the past. And Edwin said something that it resonated with me. He said, old is not bad and young is not good. Okay, which just means we need everything. I need the 20 years for people who have the battle scars, who have been through 2001 and know what that's like, who can help coach us and understand at the same time. However, I need new ideas. I need new perspectives. I need, you know, we've got to be, and we use this word a lot, but we really do have to be inclusive and be inclusive to everybody because that's how we're going to get the best. And then we get the best from those 20-year folks who have been around and that we tap into and show somebody who's coming in new, you know what, you're just as well here. And if you fit in that culture that I described before, I, I don't care if you're 24 or you're 84, it'll work. <laughs> so, Mike, with 23 years at Cisco, mm -hmm. I am sure you have a lot of memories, both good and bad, to look back on. Could you please share with us a fond memory uh, or fond or impactful memory that you've had? Um, the, I have, you're right, I have a lot. Um, I'd say outside of recent events, um, it is probably the first SE all hands that we had at what was then GSX. So that was three years ago. Um, it was, uh, we got Chuck Robbins on the stage. He had just been made CEO. Chuck had fun making fun of me at the time. And um, to see everybody in the same room, under the same roof, and I just thought to myself that just the brain power in this room is, is it, it was intimidating, to be honest with you. Uh, it, it was awe-inspiring. And it was one of the best moments because it was the first time I, I see SEs out, you know, in the wild all the time. Uh, I see them in their, in their countries, in their cities, with their customers. And I see a lot of SEs, right? On a personal basis, in a small environment, I probably run into one to 2,000 SEs every year, which is great, but I'd never seen them all together. Seeing them all together was a very powerful moment for me, and it was one of the fondest moments that I have, have at Cisco. I, I'm, I'm just blown away that your fondest memory of Cisco has to do with the team. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that, that paints it all right there. Yeah. It really does. It's a great team. I mean, it's 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 just why you know you ask how do you make it 23 years? How do all these other people? It's it's the team that does it. If somebody locked me away in some writer's garret and I couldn't interface with people, these would be very very different answers, and it would be a very different career. It's motivating. You know, you get to see it. That was my career when I saw my career path, and believe me. My first career choice was not to be in management and not to be a manager. I loved being an SE. I was actually tricked into becoming a manager a long time ago. But then I learned that, oh my God, I get to talk to all these people. This is, this is fun. And I, I let go of being the smartest person and just enjoyed learning from them. So it's really easy to embrace the team. So Mike, sadly, a few weeks ago, 
you announced your intent to focus on your family and allow someone else to lead the SC organization. So we all really want to know, what are you going to do next? <laughs> Honestly, Brian, I don't entirely know the answer to that question. I think my wife's and my versions might be a little different. Um, so I'll give you a little bit, to, to help answer the question, I'll give you a little insight into the decision. It's uh, uh, just like my view on the team. My view on my career has always been a partnership between my wife and my family and myself. We make decisions together and we made this decision together. Um, and so we had looked at, as, as fun as it is, it can get training and going and meeting a couple thousand SEs in their habitat can, can you know, takes a toll and kept me away. So, I, so first and foremost, it's okay, it's time to spend time on my wife. Uh, my children are grown and, and, and out of the house essentially. So spend time with her, uh, reintroduce myself to her. We'll see how that goes. And there's no others, there's no hard and fast plans. I will take some time to just decompress, but there's some really, I still have to, I, I love technology too much and I want to kind of ground myself back in technology. And I've lived my career as a mechanical engineer in a computer science world, okay? Or at, at best an EE world. Um, and there's some things happening on the technology front that, that I, I find very exciting that actually can ground myself back in my physics past and my mechanical engineering past, specifically around some of the uh, efforts in quantum, not only computing, but uh, security, encryption things, entanglement are really interesting to me. So I think one of the things that I'm going to do is just go back to that learning mode and read things that I'm interested in, okay? Uh, the other thing I'm gonna do is I wanna, st I wanna find those areas of technology that I think are gonna be really impactful for the next generation. That's really gonna make a difference. I don't know exactly what they are. I have some opinions. I won't share all of them here because I don't wanna cast aspersions on something, that technology that somebody might love, but that's what I wanna do. And I wanna understand the reasoning behind it and think about what the opportunity is, what problems it can solve. So I think it's gonna be a lot of reading. It's a, a lot of investigation and then who knows? Um, I might pop up in a corporate environment again. I've, I've been very clear about this. Um, I won't go to another big company. I've already worked for the best big company out there, so I've done that, and I won't, I won't do that, and I will never compete with Cisco. I've done it for 23 years. Uh, Cisco has been an, an amazing um, blessing in my life, and I want to repay that. So maybe it's with a technology partner that partners with Cisco. Maybe it's in a tangential technology area. I'm not sure. But initially, it's going to be to relax. It's going to be reintroduce myself to my wife. I will probably spend some time in the shop and produce some furniture and I will probably spend some time on the river trying to find some fish. <laughs> I think that really speaks to your moral fabric. I, 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 I'm, I'm just blown away. And um, Mike, I want to thank you. And I know that I speak for the entire SC community as well as Cisco as an organization when I say thank you for your tenure here. Thank you for everything you've done for us. You'll be very, very missed. And we hope to see you again really soon. I hope so too, Brian. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. That's Mike Coons, very humble person, and I think really embodies what Cisco's all about. Yeah, that was interesting, actually. Just you know, that's that's the boss, that's the guy at the top. He's leaving, and we're sad to see him go. But yeah. uh, getting that insight into who he is as a person, what he's going to do when he's retired. Yeah, sounds amazing, by the way. Some fishing, I, entanglement. Some I mean, come on, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Quantum computing. Oof, that's that's some that stuff. I can't even get my head wrapped around. Um, but. Yeah, he's he's leaving. He's I think gone. Tim has taken over his uh, position, but I still think that 
it still shows to the culture of Cisco, right? These are the kind of people that get up to this level in, within the leadership organization, and it trickles down, right? Um, it's 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 a mindset that is encouraged and is prom- is promoted, and it, it does trickle down to the you know the underlings, the the SEs, the boots on the ground, right? Um, and I, I think it's important, and and really this is kind of why I wanted to highlight uh, in this uh, particular episode, kind of the the peak behind the curtain of what makes Cisco. Cisco uh, and what makes us a, a successful organization that people love to work at. Um, so Brian, any, any final thoughts, anything you'd like to share? Yeah. I mean, I feel like this entire episode is kind of commercial for, for working at Cisco, <laughs> but um, I, I don't mean it like that. It's just, it's just a great place to work. And I do find it amazing that they, they have this culture of giving back and yeah. they don't beat you over the head with it. They don't advertise it. They don't use it as a selling point or anything like that. Yeah. You know, they, they just kind of do it because they have the means to do it. And I think, I think we're all, you know, good people here. So I think so. And, and to kind of, to, to foreshadow a little bit uh, in two episodes from now, we're going to be talking about how, uh, we're going to be talking about Cisco's focus on the customer experience. And I really think, I'm, I'm glad that this series kind of came out the way it did in, in the order that it did, because two things that we're really focusing on in Cisco Impact was IoT and customer experience. And I think the culture drives the customer experience, because I don't think you can get phenomenal customer dedication without a culture that promotes the kind of people that we are. I, I, don't, I don't think you can have one without the other. So again, a little foreshadowing here. I'm really looking forward to that episode. And yeah, I think that's going to wrap things up then, Brian. Thank you for listening to ConfT with the RSC. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. And if you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can get notified when we publish an episode every two weeks. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config.